90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Uh, just sitting in this house where I've been the last week. <laughs> how about you? <laughs> yeah, we're not uh, we're not quite as locked down as you are, but uh-huh. it yeah. is still still uh, much different than business as usual. Yeah, much much different. That's for sure. Um, I've never. I can't say I've never been on so many online meetings because we do this so really when we interview someone you know we've interviewed more people than i've been on online meetings in the last week but still yeah so do you find that your podcast interviewing experience has helped you host zoom meetings (laughs) you know i mean a little bit i think so it's very interesting do you find yourself going welcome thanks for coming can you tell us a little bit about how do you got into your field where do you think field geology will be 10 years from now? And they're like, what? Oh, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's it. I will say that um, quarantine is very hard for an extrovert. <laughs> I would imagine. Uh-huh. Yeah. I had no idea. I, I can't relate, but. <laughs> I, yes, exactly. I know. It's real funny because I think most of my friends can't relate. Probably because I'm talking all the time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's rough. I didn't realize also with these Zoom meetings how much I rely on people's body language when speaking to them. Right. And that was, I had no idea. Like, I rely so much on it. And so when you can't see them, if they just have their audio on, it's so hard for me to interact. Maybe some people don't have this problem, but I definitely do. It's been a really weird psychological anthropological learning experience Hmm. yeah so yeah that's interesting i mean we when we record the podcast we don't have video right on each other but we know each other's cues pretty well correct so yeah i could see that being an issue yeah it's really interesting i mean especially with teaching because i'm trying to get a point across and you know somebody will say yeah i get it but you can tell they don't and so you can, you know, explain it another way or just roundabout and make sure they get it. And you can't at all when there's no, you know, there's no body language to tell you, oh, this person doesn't really understand it. So it's, uh, that's really interesting. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what have your uh, quarantine activities been other than teaching? What have you been doing to keep yourself busy? Uh, whatever my kids are doing, basically. <laughs> Huh. Right. Because, you know, I have the full-time job that I had already, and now I have these kids at home. Um, and so that's, yeah, we've spent a lot of time outside, and then it rained for two days, and they were not happy about that. And so that's um that's mostly what we've been doing. We've cleaned the house, which is nice, and then we've played a whole lot of Catopoly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Catopoly is a big one. Uh, Feed the Kitty is another game we like quite a bit. Which is an actual game, not just feeding the kitty, which we still hmm. do. Uh, yeah, a little dice game. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. Frantically working till my kids wake up in the morning and then saying, well, nothing else is going to happen today. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's how we've been filling the time. I will say that my dog is super happy that I'm home all the time, though. 
I'm sure. Our, yeah. our dog would love it if we were home. Unfortunately, uh, my wife works in an essential industry, and I'm in manufacturing, which right now is still, uh, at least here, classified as essential. So we're both still working every day. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Mitzi. Um, that's the only piece of news that I have, you know, subscribed to. I'm trying not to watch too much news and actually I don't watch any news. Um, and my conspiracy theory is that dogs are the one that have definitely set this virus loose, virus loose so we can all stay home. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not your dog or my dog, but you know, like border collies or something. <laughs> right. A slightly more intelligent breed than that. Yeah, dogs. no no offense, Mitzi and Lola, but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, well, we uh, we finished our two foot tall Lego Saturn V. <laughs> that was our quarantine evenings activity. That's amazing. Uh, where's it gonna go? I, I think once we redo the office at work, so we're gonna be kind of knocking down and rebuilding some of the the oh. office space. Hmm. Uh, that it'll go on a on a shelf up in there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yes, that's... I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's super great. And by the time this is all over, you have outfitted your entire office with ridiculously large Legos. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, nice. That's nice. Yeah, so that's what we've been up to. Uh, but I think uh, it'd be fun to continue playing our ABC game here. I will say I have been playing ABC games all week. <laughs> so, yeah, let's uh, let's do it. Um These words are definitely not words that come up when we're playing the ABC game at home. (laughs) So this will be be way more fun. Um, I think we're on your turn, right? I wrapped it up with the super fun mineral molybdenite last time. And uh, yeah, Yeah. go for it. Well, this one's not going to take very long, uh, but it is Neap Tide. I am always surprised. I think I had in last time. There are not a ton of in words. (laughs) No. Yeah. So. I mean, there are, I guess, if you go for mineral names, but uh, I'm not a mineral person. Yeah. Me neither. <laughs> so, uh, neap tides are the odd quarters of the moon. Okay. So, the first and the third quarter of the moon are when neap tides occur. Mm-hmm. And that means that there is the smallest difference between the high and low tide heights. Spring tide being the other one, right? Spring tide is when it's the maximum difference. So spring tide, if you're a sailor, is a big deal. Right. Uh, neap tide means you might not have to worry about it so much, depending on, you know, some of these large boats can only leave certain ports at certain parts of the tide cycle. Mm-hmm, right. So you <laughs> or, might, or they'll drag. Right. So you might have to worry about it, actually. <laughs> right. But if you're in a neap tide and you don't have too much of a draft, you may not have to worry about what time you leave. Whereas during a spring tide, even if you've got a pretty shallow draft, you may still need to worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And this all just has to do with lining up and gravity, right? Lining up and gravity. I got to explain <laughs> uh, I got to explain tidal coupling uh, to, to, to our intern this week. and. Ugh. Blew it, blew his mind. I love it. I think tidal coupling is the coolest thing ever. Like, that's neat stuff, right? That that should have been my T word, but it's not. Uh, ooh, yeah, it's not. But I like this one too. Your T word. Yeah, you're so rooted in Pennsylvania, but we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so neap tide. That is that is the word that I picked. What what do you have for O? Great. So my O was ophiolite. Mm-hmm. That sounds geology-y. 
hard rocky. <laughs> Do you remember this from undergraduate? I don't even. I don't remember when I learned about these things. I remember the word. I, you know, pressed right now. I couldn't give you a definition of it. Okay, so I was the same way. Um, uh, so ophiolites are all right when you have a subduction zone and you scrape that wedge, right? That accretionary prism, that sediment and stuff. Um, it's not just that that's sort of getting scraped along. Um, when you squish all that stuff as you're subducting, you can sometimes break off, I guess, pieces of that oceanic crust and it gets okay. gets stuck onto. It's like, um, all right, so it's like when you're building a continent by accretion, right? And so pieces get stuck onto the continental part of the crust of the subduction zone. And these ophiolites are sort of oceanic crust and sometimes upper mantle that gets stuck onto the continental side of the um, subduction zone. So now you have this stuff that was underwater or in the mantle that's now exposed at the surface on the continent. So they're subduction dandruff. Gross. Yeah, that's what they are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So stuff that should be underneath and not seen gets seen because it gets thrust up over there. And it makes some really cool stuff, right? Because you get some metamorphics in there and, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, I learned more about these because I guess we tried to have a a class in Italy, which obviously that's not going to go anymore, um, about the rocks that are used in a lot of the monuments. And some of the metamorphic rocks and stuff are ophiolites that are in some of the churches in Italy. Hmm. Okay, yeah. I, yeah, I sort so of remember that, yeah. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah. So ophiolite, there you go. I like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, for P, uh, I delved into the mining realm a little bit mm-hmm. and picked a placer deposit. I love it. Let's do it. I took an ore minerals class. I was real excited when I saw your P, and I was real sad that I didn't do ore for O, but whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and so I've heard placer and placer. I How was... have you heard it? <laughs> I was waiting for you to pronounce it. Um, I go, I have also heard both, but I say placer. Okay. Yeah. So I guess, you know, being South, uh, <laughs> Southern U.S., we would, we would go off the long A sound. Yeah, I guess so. We'll say that. <laughs> okay. Um, so these are really cool because this is a way to concentrate dense minerals like mm-hmm. gold. Right. Uh, yes. Through gravity. Mm. Man, gravity and heat. It's always the answer. <laughs> yeah, so you're you've got say a a stream flowing and you've got some heavy things like little chunks of gold and then you get ripples forming on the bottom of the stream and because of the way the water's flowing over those ripples and the different densities of materials, you can get gold or these heavy minerals concentrating in little black lines between the ripples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is great. And so... So it's like a stream that does the panning for you. Yes, yes, ex- exactly. And you see this in the little stream tables too, um, all those real fancy EM River stream tables because they're little 
their little media are separated by density and you can get these ripples that have the different media that collect in there. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. And there is a channel on YouTube. I want to say it's TVR exploring. I think, uh, this guy goes in mines, some of them active, some of them abandoned and tours them. And he recently did a, four or five part series with each part being like half an hour or more of an active placer mine. Oh, really? And it's really interesting. Like if you want to actually see how this stuff gets out of the ground and how much the miners, you know, like the, the miners walking through and they're talking, he's like, Oh yeah, you know, there's a fault that cuts through here. You can see the gouge here throws out about a geology ABC's worth <laughs> of <laughs> geologic terms. Exactly. Correctly. And then keeps going, you know, and they really, really know their minds and exactly what to look for. And they know what pay looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. This is this is one of those examples of, you know, on the job training. <laughs> That's probably better than stuff you could read in a book. Well, and you see, you know, that they have to make this tunnel to go through and for the little ore carts to go through and everything. Um, but then he stopped and pointed out this. I don't know, maybe football size dig out in one wall. Okay. And he's like, yeah, we saw this. And I don't remember how many ounces they got out of there, but it was something unbelievable. Like it paid for the whole tunnel basically. Oh <laughs> And this gosh. little football size uh-huh. thing, because that was a concentration of this placer deposit. Uh-huh. So this word is really interesting to me because much like the word or it means like you only say placer deposit when you're talking about something of economic value. Right. (laughs) Right. So, you know, people say throw out or, but it's like, it's only or if it's economically viable. Otherwise it's just lead or copper or whatever. And I always thought this was really interesting. So the same thing with placer, like even though you get these density differences in minerals on, in any one of these environments, which these are mostly like, you know, alluvial or beach, um, or dune environments, it's only placer when it's something economically valuable. And it's also fun that economically valuable changes. I know. Exactly. <laughs> I love this. I think about this in Nevada all the time because we study these things, these zebra dolomites and these red and, or, um, sorry, red and white. That was my high school mascot was a red and white zebra. Sorry. <laughs> black and white. These black and white dolomites. And they're often associated with ores. And so it's like, well, what does that mean, ore? Because over here, this stuff is an ore. But over here, there's still zebra dolomites. It's all still the same. But it's not enough to be an ore. And so you're like, oh, over here, it's just a silver deposit. <laughs> right. So it's so weird to me. So yeah, placer falls into that category. Right. <laughs> uh, but I will, uh, I'll try to remember to link in a video. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be super cool. Uh, to go, but, but I really enjoy, I mean, this guy goes all over the world uh, going through mines, and some of them are pretty pretty fascinating. I mean, that's how we got our first geologic map, right? Was um, the guy was working uh, working in coal mines. Yeah. So there you go. So, all right, well, uh, what do you have for Q? This is a, a tough <laughs> one. Uh, well, this was the first thing I thought of. Didn't even have to look anything up. Quadrangle. Of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> Which some people might be like, why is that in a geology ABC? <laughs> so, 
quadrangles or quads are what we refer to when we're looking in the United States. So this is only for the United States. Um, our topographic maps are mapped from the USGS on, we call them seven and a half minute maps. And that's because it's, you know, seven and a half minutes um, of aerial coverage is what they are. But they're rectangular and they call them quadrangles. Right. So that's it. <laughs> and these are those maps that, you know, you, you would give to your students at field camp. Uh, yeah, if we were going to field camp. Um, right. Yeah. So these are the 1 to 24,000 um, scale maps. So anytime you pull a topo map, not anytime because they make different scales, but the most common scale, the one that everyone works on when they're doing field mapping, really is the 1 to 24,000 scale. So right. if you say quad... North America or uh, United States geologists know what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, we have quads on Mars too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So quads are everywhere, but here seven and a half minutes. We've mapped all the bodies and freedom units. That's right. <laughs> Which I mean, it's really not even. I mean, a degree is not a freedom unit. It's correct. a degree. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that is <but>, correct. <laughs> but we still do some silly things like. Minutes and seconds of arc instead of just using decimal degrees and. Well, right, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's there's seven and a half minute quads. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So at least they're using decimal degrees on the new ones, but you know there aren't a lot of new ones, so there you go. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was my cue. Um, if we ever do this again and I get cue besides quartz, I don't know where else to go, which I'm sure we did on the first one. So. <laughs> Quartzite. Oh, uh, yeah. Quartz Aaronite. Exactly. <laughs> Quartz ish. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but your R does not look very geological either, I will say. Oh, I beg to differ. <laughs> My R word is rating curve. This means nothing to me. Oh, come on. <laughs> Let me uh, let me Google this real fast. <laughs> so a rating curve <laughs> is a graph of stream discharge versus stage. Oh, well, I guess I've used these all the time, but I never yeah. knew that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, that's very interesting. Yeah. So, and th- these normally have some sort of a loggy look to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and... I have a picture from a 2007 field trip I did with the USGS of somebody holding uh, what has to be one of probably the last hand-drawn rating curves from a gauge station. Oh, that's awesome. In Oklahoma, because uh, I'm pretty sure after that, everything went to automated gauging. Uh, I really hope that our geohydrologist isn't listening to this, because if he is, oh, man, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get it hardcore. And so discharge, you're looking at, if you want to think in the units that I would think in for discharge, it's cubic feet a minute. Okay, yes. Uh, Just what volume flow rate? So if you were to cut the stream, throw the rest of the earth away, and stick a big bucket, one of those Homer buckets from Home Depot, Mm -hmm. um, in one minute, how much would it fill up? That's discharge. Is it not usually done in CFS? Uh, it might be CFS and 
high flowing things. Okay, I guess that's when I look at these things. So, okay, I was, the things I've looked at have been like marginally able to be called streams. So, gotcha. CFM. Okay, was... there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the graph was really boring. You, you <laughs> could quite kidding. literally measure it with a five gallon bucket. <laughs> most of the time. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I teach you know floods. So yeah. Okay. Right. That makes sense. Okay. Um, but stage is a funny word. Yes. Something we make up because we like nice whole numbers to describe things. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's river height. Yeah. Yeah. But you yeah. never say that. It's always stages. Right. And, you know, I've, so the old gauging way to do this uh, was on the side of a bridge. There would be pre-mounted or you would bring with you a weight and a string. And on a calm day, you know, you would say, okay, from the top of this bridge railing to the bottom, to the sediment, it is so many units. And then you would come back and you would say, okay, from the top of the bridge railing to the water, it is now so many units. So by taking the difference from those, I know how deep the water is. Okay. That's uh, super scientific. Yep. Uh, I mean, now there's automated profilers and radar sounders and sonics and all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. Um, but I have seen it done. Right? Yeah, but I have seen it done where somebody drove out to the bridge, unlocked the little master lock padlock, flipped this thing open. There's a brass weight on a steel cable that had marks in it. And you would crank it down to the stream. That's awesome. <laughs> and you crank it back up. And then they had a thing that looked very much like an anemometer. Uh, that they would deploy off the side of the bridge and it would tell them the flow speed. And from the cross-sectional area and the depth profile and the flow speed, you can get the discharge. That's beautiful. Just beautiful. <laughs> uh, but rating curves are very important for understanding how a river, how a watershed is going to react to precipitation events, what you can expect the flood state to be, uh, tracking the water down through the water system. So I, that's why I say I beg to differ because these make geology. You're correct. <laughs> I just didn't know they were called that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. I'll okay. Learn something so, new every day. <laughs> rating curve. Uh, what, what do you got for S? Well, so I wish S came before my guio back at G um, because it, you know, is what a geo is. So it's a seamount. That's my S. It's okay. just a mountain. It's on the seafloor. It has to have a thousand meters of local relief, just like a mountain here does. And uh, yeah, that's it. Usually and they're their volcanic. seismic asperities. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and there was a uh, Pixar, you know, short about them that I love a you one. <laughs> really well yeah did you never see this no <laughs> oh yeah it's the best one i cry my son made fun of me so much every time we saw that i don't remember which movie it came out with um but it's a little volcano and he's sitting there sings his love song and there's a seamount that's like slowly growing on the floor and then she explodes really big and it's a little you know female volcano and so yeah hmm. it's really sweet <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, so that one, um, I love it. Seamounts are in my favorite Pixar short, so there you go. 
All right. <laughs> What's T? T. So yes, yeah, so I'm going back to my my Penn State <laughs> ice group roots here uh, with Tidewater Glaciers. Tidewater Glaciers. So when I ever think of Tidewater, I always think of like where I've gone to see this stuff, and it's always you know in the Gulf of Mexico. So <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. Tidewater Glaciers there. <laughs> But the name hints pretty strongly at what's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure does. <laughs> yeah, so these are glaciers that, so they're normally valley glaciers. You know, they start in high areas, flow across rock through all kinds of cool flow mechanisms, um, and then they end up on tidally influenced water. They go all the way down to the ocean. So um, every glacier in Alaska, essentially. <laughs> Right, yeah. So that they're floating out on the out on the ocean. Uh, you know, if they were huge, they, it would be an ice shelf, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because they have a lot. This is where most of your small iceberg population comes from, is these tidewater glaciers. When they get to the ocean and they start getting all that tidal stress, they calve off. Which makes sense, right? You're sitting there bending them back and forth, basically. Right. And I mean, I can talk about glacial bending for a long time. <laughs> because uh, oh, that smells that smells like a like an episode title <laughs> yeah because we uh i mean we designed instruments to measure it really no um, kidding like yeah. just to, just to see how much it takes before it calves or what uh no so these were really long ice shelves uh and that was actually the first totally unique geophysical instrument that my company designed uh oh was we could measure tilts of, uh, let's see, 0. 0.00005 degrees. Oh, wow. So I was able to measure tilting uh, from tide, like 100 kilometers inland. Wow. That's impressive. Uh, yeah, so there's a there's a soft spot in my heart for glacial bending. I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Um, wow. Interesting. Add that to the list of very weird things that are that have been said on this show, <laughs> right? And <laughs> that. Um, but the other cool thing about tidewater glaciers is they sort of have this cycle of long periods of advance, and then relatively rapid retreat uh, to a stable point. So okay. glaciers, there's all kinds of fun dynamics that happen with the shape of the bed and temperatures and flow rates and buttressing stresses and all this that determine whether the glacier is going to be stable or advance or break off a bunch and retreat. And these systems are generally not uh, purely stable, if anything, conditionally stable, sometimes conditionally unstable. Uh, so just like the atmosphere, like, you know, it's coming along and then there's a perturbation and that causes the whole thing to break off way back up into the valley mm. and then it starts again. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So, so that's, I, I got to look ahead in our list here because, oh, I didn't get W. Okay. I, have, I had a really good W word related to this, but I'm going to save it for next time. Oh, okay. Um, well, so on these tide, have you ever lost equipment then when one of these things calves? Uh, none of my equipment has been lost. Okay. But I'm guessing that's pretty frequent that this happens. Yeah, I mean, there were, so the stuff I did was not on a tidewater glacier. It was actually inland of an ice shelf. Different um, glacial bending, okay. 
<laughs> different glacial bending. But I I have seen some talks where they would fly uh, seismometers out. Uh, so there's a guy hanging underneath a helicopter with all these seismometers clipped to a, a belt. And they would fly him out to the, the calving face, and he would place these things down. And when, when it calved, like, they just went bloop and stopped transmitting, and that was the end. Oh. Uh, but, but that was the design, is these right, things yeah. were disposable instruments. Oh, that's great. <laughs> All right. Great. Yeah. So uh, what, what do you got for us next year? You, obviously, we've already done uniformitarianism, but related to that, I chose unconformity. So lack of uniformitarianism. Exactly. <laughs> um, so there's a whole bunch of flavors of unconformities, but in essentially they're, you know, erosional surfaces or non-depositional surfaces. So if you're marching up a stratigraphic column, oldest at the bottom, youngest on the top, if you've got any gaps at all in there, it has to be because the rocks were there and then they were eroded or they weren't ever put down at all. And that represents the unconformity right mm -hmm. and we have several different names for the different flavors of unconformity you can get disconformities which is just two sedimentary rocks on top of each other and the you, the unconformity itself is a wavy surface so you know maybe at a stream nothing came along then suddenly it gets covered up by the ocean that's a disconformity between those two rocks. Um, you can get nonconformities, which are the easiest ones because it's metamorphic or igneous rocks underneath said rocks. That one's right. great. Angular unconformities, which, as it states, um, you've got tilted beds that are on top of those are horizontal beds. That's it. And then ugh, the dreaded, dreaded paraconformity. <laughs> Which I don't even see, as a field geologist, this would be pretty hard to identify. Um, it's, it's just horizontal said rocks, and the break in time, the unconformity, is also horizontal. Yeah, so it's like somebody whited it out and wrote over it in the same <laughs> font. <laughs> Good Exa luck. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. So uh, this is always a question on my final... <clears throat> for any students that are listening is always, you know, how could you, how could you identify a paraconformity in the field? Well, There's... I mean, you, you, you grab your local geophysicist and do <laughs> magnetostrat. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's about what you can do. I mean, yeah, that's basically it. So mm -hmm. paraconformities, the worst of the unconformities. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess you could do like, argon dating or oh yeah or... right but but john my question if you would have read it correctly before answering was in the field <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah it's it's nigh impossible this is where my way you... involves less liquor and guessing <laughs> that's so true <laughs> this is where you actually have actual numbers which geologists generally don't like so right yeah, yeah paraconformities Blech. <laughs> but if you're talking about horizontal sedimentation, I think that leads us beautifully into V. I love this word. <laughs> it's varv. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> I love this rock. These are beautiful. 
Yeah, and you've talked about them before. These are uh, annual sedimentation layers. They're so cool looking. <laughs> and so and a so lot you, of these come from lakes, right? Yeah, and so you get this record of every year of this lake's existence. Oh, that just, I mean, that just makes my heart so happy, right? I hate paraconformities. You don't want any breaks in anything. Just beautiful, constant sedimentation. <laughs> right. <laughs> so nice. But did you know that the term first appeared on a Swedish map in 1862? No, I did not know that. Is and it a... is a Swedish word. What does it mean? Revolution in layers or circle. Hmm. Hmm. Revolution in layers or circle. Interesting. So, you know, revolutions, orbit, a year, I get that. In layers, mm -hmm. well, yeah, layers of rock. Mm-hmm. Circle, maybe, maybe orbit. Or maybe, maybe time. Yeah. Which is also but, another one of my questions. Is time a circle or a straight line? <laughs> well, we only have so long. <laughs> that's true. Um, that's uh, so I they're so cool because if you have, you know, seasonal changes in VARs, just like if the lake when it's cold and when it's warm or whatever, like they can produce some really beautiful little striped rocks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. I had no idea. So if you want to name if you want to like just make up something, you just publish a map with it on it and then it becomes added to the lexicon apparently yes yeah awesome well in the 1800s that is probably exactly how it happened <laughs> yeah. huh, nice all right well what do you have for w so we came back from spring break which we were in your neck of the woods and so for w i just put the womble shale Okay, so what is, I mean, obviously it's a shale formation. But... It is a shale. Um, so this is an Ordovician shale, and it is in the Washita Mountains of Arkansas. And so that's in, you know, southeastern or southwestern Arkansas and southeastern Oklahoma. And the Washita's are just this premier fold and thrust belt. Just amazing, amazing um, as part of putting Pangea together was how this fold and thrust belt got there. And the Womble Shale is just a super thick shale that you find all throughout here. Um, it's underneath the Big Fork, which is a chert layer, and above the Blakely Sandstone. And it can get pretty feet, pretty, or pretty, um, pretty thick. It's 1,000 feet thick in a lot of areas. And so it's this. It's a chunky unit. It is a super chunky unit, but it is just this pitch black shale and it's got all the cool rock mechanics things in it <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's yeah exactly because <laughs> it's been so messed up um by this fold and thrusting uh it's so cool there are just so many neat like planes of weakness and the way it breaks plumo structures everywhere i have this chunk of it actually just out in my yard and it's broken into these just perfect like rectangles like all over it. Just the whole face is these little like one by two inch rectangles everywhere. It's lovely. And I'm trying to, it might be in the Womble, but there's a really cool fold that uh, it is 
I've made the joke before that it's the only fold you could take the Fourier transform of because (laughs) this was folded and then at a separate period of time, it was folded again. Mm -hmm. So it's a fold superimposed with folds. Mm -hmm. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I bet it is in the Womble actually. I think I know exactly which one you're, you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, it's just amazing. So if you're ever in the hot springs area, if we're ever allowed to travel anytime soon, um or not soon it's been there since the order vision <laughs> it's uh it's really worth going and see this if you can get there in the geologically recent <laughs> future <laughs> in the geologically near future you'll be yeah, fine exactly <laughs> uh yeah so that's the womble and i just like to say it i said it a lot on uh on our spring break trip no one cared anymore <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of weird words, I stuck you with X. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't very nice. Ah, I just wanted G for Geo. <laughs> so it is xyloid coal. I will admit, I don't know what rank of coal that is. <laughs> okay, so I, I couldn't find... This is a very, very specific... It's like a subtype of a subtype. Okay, good. Of coal. I was afraid I'd forgotten geology. <laughs> no. Um, but I couldn't find the exact origin of this, but I think it comes from xylem. Okay, which is uh, part of a tree. Right, so it's like, you know, that tubey structure that moves fluids up and down in trees. That makes sense. Uh, or plants in general. Yeah. So this is a form uh, or a subclass of lignite coal. Okay, and lignite, I know that word. <laughs> right. Uh, that's the not fun one, right? <laughs> lignite is barely coal. Uh, so you go through different grades of coal, uh, uh-huh. and they progressively get nicer, more rocky, more energy dense. Uh-huh. Uh, like, you know, okay, anthracite, there, there you're talking about something that you might want to stick that's in right. your power plant. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, not so much with lignite. Uh, lignite is barely above compacted bog material. You you can burn it, but not a lot of BTUs in there or something, right? You you remember that scene in Monty Python uh, where the king is talking to Dennis and (laughs) somebody says, there's some lovely filth down here. Yes. And they're slinging that kind of mucker. That's that's lignite, that's sort lignite. of. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't think it was in there, but that's what I think of with lignite. Um, <laughs> that's what I'll think of now, too. <laughs> right. And you can play that scene for your students. I it's totally fantastic. Will. And they'll be like, here are these old people on there. <laughs> oh, and I'll get real sad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so lignite is, uh, it's really just fossil wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So if you go to a store and buy fossilized wood, you could be like, I have xyloid lignite coal. Because <laughs> uh, you're technically not wrong. Oh, and they'll be like, get out of there. Um, <laughs> and it actually can look like wood. Yeah. Uh, oh. It's, you can go to a slightly higher grade. So, you know, it says a subclass of lignite. Uh, so then you can step up to compact lignite, lignite or perfect lignite, which perfect. lose a lot of that woody <laughs> structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but that is 
That is all it is. It's fossilized wood. Xyloid lignite coal. Xyloid. I love it so much. That's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> word. <clears throat> but next yep. time you get X. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I'll start practicing for it now. Um, but I got Y, and I wanted to do Yazoo stream. <laughs> All right, so what is a Yazoo stream? <laughs> I'm going to make back up my geohydrology, you know, not knowing what a rating curve was. Um, so this is a tributary that runs parallel to the main channel of a river. And it's, it's the lovely definition of parallel to within the floodplain of for a considerable distance. <laughs> <laughs> So, I never found anything that gave me, like, what length does this stream have to run parallel to the main river channel <laughs> to be considered a Yazoo stream? But I don't know. So would this be in an area of low topographic relief, and that's why it hasn't merged in? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there are a lot of man-made Yazoo streams. Um, but right. yeah, that's a, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it. So it's flowing below the river's natural levee. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because when I just Wikipedia it, because um, I knew what it was, but I was trying to find if there was actual, you know, quantitative data on it, um, that when it comes together, because usually when a stream meets a main branch, a tributary meets the main branch, it's called a confluence, um, and they call it a belated confluence when a Yazoo stream meets the main branch because hmm. it's not where gravity would have it go right it just can't get up and over that natural levee um there was also an interesting thing it said the choctaw word is translated to river of death <laughs> because of the strong flows that are in these yazoo streams at full stage interesting isn't that interesting? Now, there's an actual Yazoo River, so that's not what I'm talking about. But that one actually runs parallel to the Mississippi River before it converges. So, And that one is a combo of Mississippi River natural levees and man-made levees that keeps that one in place. Hmm. Yeah. So lots of man-made Yazoo streams, but there are some regular Yazoo streams as well. All right. Well, I learned something new. There you go. And you get to finish it off, though. <laughs> it was Z. I get all the fun letters. Oh, yeah. Those are always the worst. I never wanted X or Z playing the alphabet game. <laughs> right. Uh, so for Z, I'm going to go hydrology as well. Ah. And I'm going to go with zone of aeration. Is this an aquifer term? No. Oh, okay. Never mind. Uh, I mean... <laughs> It's kind I, I'm, of. I'm going to say no. Term. Oh, it's kind of is. So the the zone of aeration is the area between the surface of the Earth and the water table. This is the Vado zone. Mm. I didn't know it had another word. <laughs> I think there's probably a distinction, but hmm. okay. I'm going to figure. Well, that out. Uh, okay. No, I I, I take that back because I just. I just looked it up with uh, with some on-the-spot Googling skills, and it says also known as the unsaturated area Vados zone or zone of suspended water. <laughs> that one 
one to That's my favorite. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Zone of suspended water. <laughs> so this is where you've got water clinging to soil particles, but there's also air mixed in with it. Mm-hmm. It's not like down in the zone of saturation where go. it's soil or rock filled with water. I always wondered where the word Vados zone came from. It always sounds so nefarious. Yeah. But I'm going to use... Vados zone. Exactly. But I'm going to use zone of suspended water from now on. That's my favorite. Yeah. That's really good. So I'm going to change um, my Z word. Not zone of aeration. It is zone of suspended water. Which is the same thing. So you're fine. Exactly. Oh, God. That's great. Um, why can't... Yeah. Why don't we just zone of aeration it's the unsaturated and the saturated zone right yeah we have to have fancy words uh yeah we do i'm reading a a book right now where they're trying to machines are basically taking over the world and they're trying to simplify language to get everything to like talk to each other and not be confused it's hysterical Hmm. (laughs) yeah this is what this reminds me of this is a they they do it it's a it's a software called Bespoke, and it takes your fancy words and just, you know, barfs out a dumb sentence, essentially. And I feel like this <laughs> this is in need of bespoking. So it, it up gore fives. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Zone of suspended water. <laughs> what would make that in the hmm, floaty water? I don't know. I'm trying to think of the common words, though. That would be <laughs> zone of floaty water. Zone of less uh, zones not in there. Yeah, that's true. Place of less water. Place place of water and air. Oh, there you go. Yep. That's my upgoer five version of it. Which is essentially everything. <laughs> Except the Atacama Desert, I guess. Right. <laughs> I love it. That was a great one to end on. Zone of suspended water. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I can't wait to move on now to everybody's favorite segment of the show fun paper friday speaking of suspended water no um (laughs) this is really gross i don't even want to talk about it (laughs) i I have to tell the story of i was sitting here at the table a couple nights ago working on my computer innocently my wife was sitting beside me and we share a dropbox folder uh, (laughs) where we put things in for the show and we were looking at something on the, I don't remember what it was. We were looking at something on the screen together and a notification pops up on my screen <laughs> and says, Shannon Doolin has added poopknives.pdf to your shared folder. At which point Lindy goes, well, what's a poop knife? So we had to immediately open and read this paper together. I would like to correct that. It said poop knife. <laughs> yes, there are three O's. <laughs> I am. I have never been happier that I chose to rename that <laughs> than right now. <laughs> but th- that caused a very uh, <laughs> puzzled look in our household. But you could easily explain it by this paper. <laughs> Yeah, so it could also be called Experimental Replication so it Shows Knives Manufactured from Frozen Human Feces Do Not Work by Aaron et al. <laughs> this isn't an Elsevier journal. This is not a joke. <laughs> no, this is, uh, this is a real paper from some anthropologists and archaeologists uh, from Kent State and the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. 
have you ever heard of this thing? This they reference this story and say everybody knows it. <laughs> well, everybody that lives, you know, in the frozen wastelands does maybe. Yeah, I well, they say like every arche. I know a lot of archaeologists or anthropologists, and this hasn't come up. But I guess we just. Well, y- you need to start the conversation next I time. I am from now on. You better <laughs> believe it. This is my leading. Hey, did you know that that poop knife poop knife story is not true? <laughs> but if you don't know what the poop knife story is, <laughs> I guess there is an ethnographic account of an Inuit man who. <laughs> Basically, they tried to get him to assimilate into the village, and he said, no way. And so they're like, well, we're going to take away all your tools so you can't live out here by yourself. And he said, oh, yeah. And he fashions a knife out of his frozen poo and kills a dog, skins it, makes a sled out of its rib cage, and then ties up another dog by the dog that he slaughtered sinews and and ran away. <laughs> Yes, and he disappeared into the darkness is how it ends. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it said that that public, like, that story has been told and retold, like, so many times, and everyone always references it, and they just wanted to see if this would work. I mean, that seems like some inspiration for, <laughs> you know, a cartoon, Scooby-Doo, like, somebody's dressing up as this person riding around in a rib cage. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to be like, how skinny was that guy to fit inside a dog's ribcage? But <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, so the, these uh, to stick with our our theme there, you know, this Aaron and the co-authors said, "Well, Jinkies, that doesn't sound right," <laughs> and uh, they decided, well, the only way to know if this was possible is to well try it. <laughs> the best part of this experimental setup is that so the main author. Aaron is the one who first tries it. And not only that, not only are they just going to make this poop knife that they're going to freeze, what they did was he ate an Arctic diet for eight days. <laughs> and there is a, in the supplemental material, a record of all yes. the things that they eat uh, because somebody else had just a normal diet too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you get to see everything they ate and then turned into knives. That's what makes this paper science. <laughs> Right. right. And there, there are pictures in the supplemental material. Yes, there are. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that's just it. They made knife molds. Um, and they also made hand-shaped knives. Artisanal poop knives. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got, I got three older brothers. I got a son. Poop is always funny. <laughs> Right. And so they they formed these knives, either, like you said, with the mold or with their hands, with gloves, uh, okay. and froze them. They said they didn't try this. The, the legend says he spit on it to sharpen it. Yeah. Uh, they didn't try that. Mm-hmm. But they did use a file. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's also a picture of that. They tried to file an edge on these poop knives. <laughs> And then they would sandwich them between some blocks of dry ice to be sure they were absolutely as cold as possible before they tried to cut into various pieces of pig uh, Mm -hmm. to see what would happen. And the pig was cold, so it wasn't like slaughtering a fresh animal that would be much harder to cut than cold and cured meat. 
Yeah. I mean, they warmed it up a little bit, right? But um, they oh, said that... 4C, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they said that no matter what they did, poop knife wouldn't cut it. And they just tried the hide part at first, since they said, obviously, it wouldn't matter if it could cut anything else if you couldn't pierce the hide of this thing. Um, but then when they couldn't pierce it, they turned it over just to see if it would cut some of the, you know, fatty stuff. And it said it would barely do that. Right. And the main problem was, you know, when you've got such a thin edge, the heat capacity of this is so low that when it contacts something warmer, it just melts and ruins the edge and mm-hmm. leaves leave skid marks on the meat <laughs> and it said that you know obviously the the story he doesn't have a file he does this with spit but it said they gave their they gave their knife every chance that they could for it to work <laughs> and it never did absolutely and you know there were lots of uh at least a certain explicative uttered <laughs> as these poop knives did not work <laughs> Oh, man. I love it. This is so great. Um, and I love the term experimental anthropology, too. I thought that was funny. Right. Uh, so <laughs> definitely, you know, this is a two-page read. Uh, totally. Give right. it a read. Go look at the supplemental materials. Yep. <laughs> uh, I would rather you not send us Please your don't. attempts to recreate this at home. <laughs> Uh, nope um if you have any great online resources for uh distance learning that's what you can send us instead of pictures of your poop knives <laughs> yeah or if you have fashioned any other knives i know we know we've got folks that make all kinds of stuff uh bicycles cowbells uh not poop uh, knives. <laughs> you know tim made a great great video of making uh making yeah. our cowbells for us that's true um so yes, if you fashioned any any knife of your own, uh, that'd be really cool. You can <laughs> post that on our Facebook or tweet it to us. Uh, Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? Uh, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. Together we are at don'tpanicgeo. Um, that is also where you can find us on Patreon if you'd like to support us. Um, everyone's sitting at home, so hopefully we get some more interviews lined up. Um, and you may support us there at patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And on our Slack channel, go find us. That We're in the Software Underground on the Don't Panic channel. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.